the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy and ADF, the Alliance Defending Freedom. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. Uh, Mr. Owens, I'm sorry. We just started recording. Um, Would you like time to respond to that? Yes, um, I think it's pretty apparent that uh, Mr. Liu believes that black people are stupid and will not... Uh, pursue the full clip in its entirety. He purposely presented an extract, an extracted witness, clip. The witness absent. will suspend for a moment. It is not proper to refer disparagingly or with, to a member of the committee. Uh, the witness will not do that again. Witness may continue. Sure, even though I was called despicable. Um, witness may not refer to a member of the committee as stupid. I didn't refer to him as stupid. That's not what I said. That's not what I said at all. You, you didn't listen to what I said. May I continue? Wait, please. As I said, he is assuming that black people will not go pursue the full two-hour clip. And he purposefully extracted, he cut off, and you didn't hear the question that was asked of me. He's trying to present as if I was launching a defense of Hitler in Germany, when in fact, the question that was asked of me was pertaining to whether or not I believed that Hitler was a, whether or not I believed in nationalism, and that nationalism was bad. And what I responded to was that I do not believe that we should be characterizing Hitler as a nationalist. He was a homicidal, psychopathic maniac that killed his own people. A nationalist would not kill their own people. That is exactly what I was referring to in the clip, and he purposely wanted to give you a cut-up similar to what they do to Donald Trump to create a different narrative. That was unbelievably dishonest. The formal proceedings of the witch hunt, the impeachment star chamber that is about to imminently begin, all I can say is I hope the president's witnesses are as tough and as smart as my current guest. I am absolutely delighted. It wasn't easy, but we have Candace Owens, who needs no introduction, in studio for the full hour. God bless you, Candace, and thank you for joining us here on America First. Ladies and gentlemen, Candace Owens is in the building. She is. She has arrived. She <laughs> is here. It's not easy. I'm not joking. It's not easy. I was delighted to be on your incredible interview the Prager you Candace Owens I think it was like 40 50 minutes we spent in Trump International I think that was published two weeks ago How, how's that video going it's been amazing eyeballs good eyeballs you're easy because you have such a good voice so people just listen to you like they don't even know if they know what you're saying they're just like <laughs> yes it sounds powerful we must all get together and do what he says so I was delighted to have you and I'm delighted to be here today well I we haven't had you on the show since the big day so first things first congratulations on your wedding thank you very much you, you have solidified the transatlantic alliance with your British paramour, your husband. Well done. Congratulations. Brexit met Brexit. 
I love it. I love it. Um, we, we have so much to discuss, but before we get to Blexit, before we get to your pivotal role uh, in the Turning Point movement and the latest rally, you just had a rally, correct? Blexit, yeah, Blexit rally. Where was that? In, in Atlanta, Atlanta last Atlanta. night. We'll talk about all of that. For those who aren't familiar with, with your story, say a little bit about your past, where Candace Owens came from, and, and, and your recent journey in the last three years. Um, you know, just to give you guys the abridged journey, I mean, I was a liberal. I thought I had to be a liberal because of the color of my skin. I mean, I've been very obvious and open about that. Um, and then something inside of me woke up. And, and when I say, by the way, I was liberal, I wasn't out there protesting with pussy hats. I was just like a sleepy liberal um, and thought. Well, your default setting. Yeah, right. my default setting. Right. But Republicans were racist. Though I would have called you a Nazi. I would have said horrible things about and you. The only people you should vote for are are Democrats, Democrats. because they're the saviors. Okay. Um, and then I had an awakening when Donald Trump began running in in 2015, and that moment when he turned to Black America in 2016 at Michigan, he said, "Black America." What do you have to lose? And I remember watching that clip and watching what the media did with that clip. The media said, oh, this was racist. How dare he say that we're living bad? Um, how dare he? Has he been in your home? And they tried to, to, to spin his words. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. I come from a black family. I know I know how we're living. You know, um, I have family. Half of my family is on welfare. Uncles that have been in and out of prison my entire life. I grew up. I visited my uncle in prison growing up. I have crackheads. I have uncles that live on the street. Why are we pretending that our neighborhoods are good or that our lifestyles are good? Why are we so afraid to have someone who has the audacity to step up and challenge us and tell us the truth? Um, and I asked myself an important question, and that question was this. Is it possible that racism is being used as a theme to turn black people into single-issue voters? And, of course, Mr. Gorka, the answer was yes. So it was the treatment of Donald Trump that made you say, hang on, something's hinky here, right? And I didn't like him. They just overplayed their hand. If they were cool and played it cool and were like, you know, this guy, uh, you know, he's not qualified. He hasn't been in politics. I would have still been under the liberal spell. But uh-huh. they overplayed their hand by calling him a racist, a sexist, a okay, misogynist. So they called him a racist. We're, we're talking about, what, three, four years ago? Yeah. Um, what if somebody had told you back then, Candace Owens, as, as you're just seeing this spark of, hang on, this is something weird here. What if somebody would say to you that uh, in three years' time, you're going to be testifying in Congress, and Ted Lieu is going to call you a Nazi, and you're going to be called a white. You're going to be in Congress testifying, and they're going to call you, Candace Owens, a Nazi sympathizer. What would you have thought when somebody said that to you? I would have said drugs are bad and make some brain cells. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I would have thought. It's been quite a journey, right? It's been quite a journey, and, and God put me on this path for, for all of these reasons. And it's weird because everything that I lived through in my life, you know, being a girl who was the victim of a hate crime when I was in high school, um, and uh, everything that I lived through and didn't know why I lived through it was really me gearing up for this moment um, because I can speak on issues in a way that it's so authentic because I've lived through things. I've always disliked the NAACP, even when I was a liberal, because they used me when I went through a, a what was characterized as a, a hate crime in high school. They used me with cameras in tow to, to, to speak out and defend me, you know, but it was really just to raise money. They never checked in with me as a, a so 17 year So you were girl. exploited. I was exploited by the NAACP. So I was actually gearing up to be... Be the ultimate conservative, um, but never really cared about politics. wasn't really, you know, politically inclined. Like most Black Americans, we don't really grow up in these very political families. We just know we have to be Democrats. That's it. Yeah. Um, and you know, I was I was blessed by an awakening, and it had to be someone um, who was as abrasive um, as Donald J. Trump. Did Did you start? Because I use it now, thanks to you. 
this phrase of the political plantation that the Democrats have. Was, did you come up with that? Yeah, the Washington Post did a whole article on it. Candace Owens has popularized the expression Democrat plantation, and it needs to stop. Okay, so why. explain why you did that, the, the real story, and explain it to our listeners. There is no real story. It's just the truth. I mean, really, to, to the listeners, think about what a Democrat plantation was. And I say a Democrat plantation because at the start of the Civil War, not a single Republican owned a slave in America. What was the plantation lifestyle? What were the components? Okay, well, first and foremost, it was necessary for the black Americans to do all of the work, right, and reap none of the benefits. That is literally what happens every four years. We carry them over the finish line. (laughs) We reap none of the benefits. Our communities are destroyed. What was also imperative was to make sure that slaves weren't educated. We legally were not allowed to learn how to read. Why is no one talking about the illiteracy rates in black America right now? It's an epidemic. 75% of black American boys can't read in states like California. They couldn't find a single black child across five Baltimore schools that was that was proficient in reading or writing. No one's talking about it because an educated mind cannot be enslaved. And the so Democrats you think there's always, a plan there? Well, 100 percent. And they've executed it beautifully, by the way. They've executed it beautifully on black America for the last 60 years. A third component, family breakdown. They always made sure they were moving around slaves all the time. Actually, um, in um, uh, who, who, who's the Frederick Douglass in his book? He writes he writes in his autobiography about how he felt nothing when his when his mother died, nothing when his sister died, because they made the slaves not care about they family. atomized the units. Right. And that's what we're seeing Today, with the, the last the 50 down years. The black family, 74 percent single motherhood rate in the black community. Why? Because they need the breakdown of family in order to grow government and to, and to grow control over people. Right. They cannot tap into these things like family. Next year, you have a book coming out called Blackout. Blackout. And subtitle, the subtitle How Black America Can Make Its Second Escape from a Democrat Plantation. Wow. Can I do the audiobook? Yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll do it for free. Oh, I'll do it for free. Gosh, yes. Let's do it. Uh, let's talk about you just got back from an event in Atlanta. How many people? What did you talk about? What was the mood like? You said in the break you needed it. Why did you need it? Tell us about last night. So last night we did our Blexit event in Atlanta. It was sold out plus a 100 people wait list, which we let in as SRO. So we had 1,000 people packed at the Buckhead Theater in Atlanta of black Americans rooting for their freedom, screaming young, USA. Young or all kinds? Um, young, old. We even had kids. I mean, it was, it was family. Right. My, my grandfather made a surprise appearance. What? The guy who How sat cool. behind me uh, when I roasted Ted Lou. Uh, he, he was there when you did that to Little Lou Boy? Yeah, my grandpa oh, came with fun. me. So I, I opened my statement talking about how my grandfather grew up on a sharecropping farm. Um, and my grandfather came with me. Uh, and, I, and I hadn't seen my grandfather because he got sick. And he was supposed to walk me down the aisle at my wedding. Um, and he had dialysis two nights before. And he just, he wasn't good. So on the day of my wedding, I found out my granddad wasn't going to make it. And he was my oh. most honored guest. So I was, like, very upset. So he surprised you yesterday? In Atlanta, he did. Beautiful. Rally. He was what does he around. think about where you've come, what He's you're doing? so proud of me. You know, he knows I fight, and I tell people this. You have to know why you fight, right? Sounds right. a little familiar. Sounds, <laughs> there's a guy a I know who did a book. I don't know. He did a good book. You should buy it. She's smooth. She's smooth. <laughs> now she's going to have, in the next segment, it's okay, War for America Soul. Just smuggle it in somewhere, and I'll be very impressed, okay? <laughs> All right, so what, what was your message, special message last night to those thousand people? Um, know why you fight, you know, and, and remember that Blexit is not a call for people to leave the left and run to the right. It's, it's a challenge for us to always think independently and to not let ourselves be emotionally manipulated year in and year out. And to really realize the blessing of us being in this country, to realize yeah. that no matter what, we are the most overprivileged, spoiled people who have ever lived in Safest. the history of the world. Freest. If you are in America yeah. today. So then answer me this question, Candice. It's very simple. Why 
has the black community for 60 years voted Democrat again and again. I, I get, you know, the, the idea that, oh, the, the state will look after you. But when you see what's happening in Democrat cities, isn't there a point at which the community says, uh, this is wrong? What, what is the power that's kept them there for 60, 70 years? Culture and the media. It's brainwashing. Brainwashing has been brainwashing since the beginning of time. Propaganda has been used since the beginning of time, and it's always worked. If you go back and you research historical events, you say, how is it possible that all these people didn't see this horrible right. dictator rising to power, right? And then you realize they, they, they seize control of the media, right. right? For so long, we gave up two things. First off, the culture to the left, the education system to the left, and the media to the left. So everything I saw, why did I think I had to be a Democrat? Everything that I saw that was coming through the airways was giving me a, a, a pro-leftist message. And we weren't, the conservatives weren't fighting. The conservatives weren't competing in, in no. the cultural space. Actually, when I first got into politics, the first hit piece that was written about me was written about me by the National Review. Oh, my God. Because I was telling. being funny. And they said, this is the sort of conservatism that con real conservatives need to reject. Oh, so because I'm making digestible clips on YouTube and making it fun and making fun of leftists and not being austere and writing. You don't a have a blazer paper. and a bow tie yeah, on. Yeah, I proper. can't be conservative. And That's I'm good. like, that British accent's good. I know. I always want to sound like you. Yeah. I'm trying to be you, like you. You're getting there. Um, so, so they they captured the media. We let them capture the educational system. Um, tell us what's happening in the last three years. Uh, is the president doing enough? I mean, you're seeing some great figures. It, it, it's hard because of the polling figures, but we're seeing between two and three times an increase in supporting the black community for Donald Trump. Hopefully, it's much more. What else could he be doing? And how about this? What is the role of the church? Um, so first and foremost, the church has a big role because the church played a big role in deluding us against our own best interests. So we have to get back the churches. Um, and I think for the president, what he's been doing is great because he's just delivering results. And what I've always appreciated about the president is he's not trying to be someone he's not. He's not offering hot sauce. He's not asking Beyonce and Jay-Z to come sing to open for him. Right. He's like, this is what I do. I do funny hand movements. I talk <laughs> like this and I will get the job done. Right. He does business. Right. And that's what he has to do. Just produce results. And get in front of audiences that that, are, that seem unlikely, right? So I think if there's anything he could do is, is to get a part of those grassroots efforts. Because I said, there are so many people that are like me. I started on YouTube. There are so many other black Americans that are waking up, starting YouTube channels, you know, trying to get their voices out there, host an event for them, you know. And, and, and that little inch that you give them to say, I see you and I hear what you're doing, it will go so far in the end. And we really need to make sure that it goes as far as possible. So does he need country. to go more into the community, physically into Baltimore, Chicago? Detroit is that what he needs to do I, I, I absolutely think he should you know I, I, I think that would be a challenge for him to get you know on the ground and do stuff that's right. grassroots and make sure that he's communicating with people that understand the grassroots movement right I mean you can have as many political advisors as you want you're either on the ground or you're not you're either you're doing the work or you're not and then uh, tell us about what you're hearing in the community in the last three years. Is, is, is the popularity of the president truly increasing or, or is it is it um, do they have to be quiet about it? Do they have to kind of hide it? You know, I remember when I uh, first not first, maybe it was the second or third time that I hung out with Don Jr. And, and he was telling me um, that he knew that MAGA was happening and that the president was going to win because behind closed doors it had changed. He said people weren't saying it publicly, but everywhere right. they went, they, they whispered to him like, oh, I love your dad. I love your dad. 
That is what has changed for me in the last three years. Everywhere I go, walk down the street in D.C., you know, thank you so much. You woke me up. I never had heard a conservative perspective. Thank you so much. My audience has grown. When I first got into this, black Americans were calling me Uncle Tom, Coon, House Negro, all of these terrible things. Now there's an army behind me. Now we're selling out the Buckhead Theater in Atlanta, right, doing Blexit rallies. So they, they, something's going to happen. It's going to be really big. My vision, and it's perfect vision, 20 points by 2020. Perfect vision, guys, 2020. Love it. Love it. Um, that's going to be a stake through the heart of the Democrat Party, isn't it, it Candice Owens? If, if you see the political plantation self-actualize, or let's, that's an awful phrase, um, self-emancipate, then that constituency is lost to the Democrats. That'll be a crisis, won't it? 100%. They're over. They, they need, they rely upon the black vote, and that's why you're seeing this overusage. Everything's racist. I mean, they had an article recently saying that air was racist, that bad air, you know, pursues black and Hispanic people first and foremost. We've gotten to the point, right. finally, remember. where air is racist. Yeah. The, the environment is racist. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what they're doing, though, is, is that they're speaking their fear, and they're desperate, asking reparations. They're literally offering us free money. Please forget it. Just stay with us. We're just we'll give you money, right? It just please. Anything. Does that have ref, res, resonance? The okay. reparations argument. I mean, I, I crush that argument in two seconds. First and foremost, just let let me know how it's going to work, right? So we know that white Americans freed the slaves, right? So are we going to do a genetic test to make see which one of you guys fought to free the slaves which and which didn't. one of you guys own the slaves? Like how's this how's this going to go? Actually, yeah. how how are they going to activate this plan? This is just like. Again, they think black people are stupid. They can make false promises and say, oh, we're, we're going we're gonna to look into those reparations. Of course, it's impossible to implement. It's completely impossible. It's just pandering. And secondly, talk about pandering. Think about this. These are the same people uh, that told us that, it, in, that we weren't smart enough to get IDs to vote. Now they're saying that we're smart enough to go get our ancestral paper to prove that we're, we were slaves wow. in the first place. Double whammy. She always has the right arguments. That's why she's Candace Owens. <laughs> Here is to scare blacks, Hispanics, gays, and Muslims into helping them censor dissent, helping them censor dissenting opinions, ultimately into helping them regain control of our country's narrative, which they feel that they lost. They feel that President Donald Trump should not have beat Hillary. If they actually were concerned about white nationalism, they would be holding hearings on Antifa, a far-left, violent, white gang who determined one day in Philadelphia in August that I, a black woman, was not fit to sit in a restaurant. They chased me out. They yelled race traitor to a group of black and Hispanic police officers who formed a line to protect me from their ongoing assaults. They threw water at me. They threw eggs at me. And the leftist media remained silent on it. Freedom fighter, warrior for the truth, Candace Owens in front of Congress in a rare moment of truth telling on Capitol Hill. Follow her right now, Real Candice O on Twitter. Pre-order her book, Blackout, and support BlexitFoundation.org, her foundation that is creating, which is inciting, which is being the catalyst for self-emancipation amongst the black American community. Candice, would you share with our, our listeners and our, our viewers across the nation, what toll has your stance had on you personally? We got a little snippet right there. The last three years of you telling the truth about you know, breaking the political change, what, what, chains, what has that caused in your personal life? 
You know, it in the beginning, it, def- it wreaked havoc. You know, it was one of those things where they, when they want to silence you very quickly, they start out very aggressively because they don't want you to get big. Um, they attack your family. They they dig up information on you. They dox your family, putting where people live, including my dead grandmother. Like, I mean, it was really ridiculous. And everywhere you show up, you're required to have security um, because they're making threats against you um, and, and threatening to physically harm you. And that's deemed as okay because they're on the side of, you know, we th- we think our ideas are better than you. So somehow they're allowed to do that. Um, but it's changed now because I've, I think that they, they understand that I'm not stepping down. Um, and the more they attack me, I will turn a camera on them and I will show America who they really are. People that you think are fighting to protect you. These are the hateful people. These are the real bigots. These are the, the real liberal supremacists, as I call them, and has everyone should be calling them liberal supremacists. They're intolerant to other ideas. They're intolerant to other people. And they think they know exactly how black people should think and feel. And they should know that I ordain to think for myself and every single black American that follows me does the exact same. If you want to see fascism, it's on the left. Correct. If you disagree with them, they will try to destroy you, especially when you are bold and have a platform. Uh, let me ask, what, what effect has it had on, on friendships? Oh, I mean, all of my liberal-ish friendships, they either came completely over to the conserv- conservative side um, or they had to burn entirely. You know, and I was, I was comfortable with that. I mean, I knew consciously going into this that I was fighting on the side of truth. Um, and that people that are asleep um, and still being deluded by the left and aren't ready for that are, are, are going to naturally want to break away from you because what they have to face, and this is the hardest part of converting from liberal to conservative or left to the right, is that you have to face yourself. It's not everybody else, it's yourself. Yes. Because I had to accept that I went around my whole life believing that Republicans were racist, were white supremacists, conservatives were horrible. And at first I had to have that, I had to have humility. You have to reject your whole belief system. Yeah, and that's that hard. takes courage. Oh, you, you have to let the ego die. Right. Takes humility, and most people don't have that humility. I had it, and I'm and I say to everyone, if you're listening to this, have that humility because what's on, what is on the other side of letting your ego burn and realizing that you were wrong is truth, and it is glorious. That's very powerful. Um, we're going to talk about what's most effective in in bringing people over from the left, but in, in the minute we have with you in this segment, I've been attacked in recent weeks by people who say they're conservatives but are really racist, the, the bigots, the, the few anti-Semites that are out there. Charlie Kirk has been attacked. Rob Smith has been attacked. How much of a threat to this awakening are that small amount of real racists on the right? How, how seriously? Do we, do we ignore them or do we, do we try and use arguments against them and then give them oxygen? What's, what's your policy, Candace? You know, actually, I would, I would actually say that we have to pause and we have to be careful not to become the, the left and to paint a broad stroke and say, oh, these people are all white supremacists and fringe. I mean, first and foremost, we're talking about, you know, turning point. A lot of these people are young. Right? Yes. They're really young. That's, but, but that's why I find it disturbing. Right. Well, well they're, they're experimenting with their ideas, and some of them have certain gripes with, um, you know, feeling like their questions are not being answered, they're not being allowed to talk. Um, we can stand on what we stand on, but we have to be able to say why we stand on what right. we stand on. And I've seen some incidents where they, they're maybe not feeling like their answers are being heard or they're being called white supremacists. In other areas, they are these fringe white supremacists. Yes. Um, and you Do have we to, feed those trolls when they really are, you know, Holocaust deniers? Well, we feed those to trolls? to me, what I always say is that if a white supremacist steps to the plate and asks me a question, I let them reveal themselves. Yeah. So I say, so tell me, what would you do with that? Do you think that we should know black people should be on the planet? Just ask a question take, back. Take it to the end of the logic train yeah, and take see. It, yeah, and then take make them themselves the look Let them out themselves. You don't, you, we don't need to be calling people names. Let them identify how who old are they you? are. I'm going to be rude. I just how turned old are you? 30. 
How you are, dare you? You are so sagacious. How dare you? For a 30-year-old young woman, you're so sagacious, so full Thank of you. wisdom. I get asked a lot when I go and speak in front of audiences, what do we do with the liberals? When there's somebody who's a Democrat voter but not, ra- not rabid, or somebody who's, you know, apolitical and, and doesn't like the president or doesn't understand conservatism, how do you start with them? M- my argument is facts aren't enough. You know, another graph of the Laffer curve or taxing, just, it, you don't win people over by loads of data. You've got to have the truth, and you've got to connect emotionally as well, like, like Reagan did, and like, like the president does. You, you, you connect through authenticity. What, what are the modalities and what are the arguments that you found most effective in your three years of, of, of helping to create this awakening? You know, I I have kind of um, grown up a lot politically, and I would say that what I try to do now is not to argue so much as I inspire. Um, And I agree with you. I think what really was popular, at least when I first got into the political game, was the expression that Ben Shapiro came up with, with facts don't care about your feelings. (laughs) And it's funny and it's cute, but it's also wrong in the sense that the feelings matter. They the do. feelings matter. Yes, yes, right? exactly. we're, we're driven by feelings. You can't ignore them. You can't them. ignore feelings. Yes. Like I'm, oh, I'm sorry, so you're crying, true. don't care, here are the facts. Right. Um, you, you do need to care. And I just actually recently spoke at um, the, a foundation that was a pro-life organization. And I got on stage, hey, make sure you give a super pro-life message. And I said to them, you know, I would not be authentic if I stood up here and I said, you're a baby killer and they kill babies and the left is horrible. That feels good, but it's not true because I used to be pro-choice and I've had friends that have gotten abortions. And it shut it down. Yeah, and I've had friends that have gotten abortions. I have people in my family that had abortions. And instead I told them a story of my cousin who came to me when she was pregnant at 17. Um, And, you know, she was crying hysterically. It was a typical uh, minority story. Got pregnant by someone who was not going to be her husband, not, you know, not going to be in the, the baby's life. Um, and I remember that conversation. And I, I sort of intimated that experience to them. And I said, these people that are shrieking and saying that people should always be able to abort, they're not horrible, hellish people. They're probably are women that have had abortions and have, don't know how to reconcile what they've right. done. And so instead, I say to them, you can you can still be pro-life if you were pro-choice. If you did make that decision and you had you had an abortion, how powerful your voice will be if you talk about that decision and why you changed and became pro-life. Your testimony would be stronger yeah. than someone who's always been pro-life. Right. So avoid inviting them in and letting them know that you can have done everything wrong and everything a different way and you can wake up and change your mind and your heart and there's a place for you that's where my space is because i was on the left and i was a liberal so i'm not going to be a person who says like oh well there's only the right way and if you don't think like me you're permanently wrong that that message of of engaging and inspiring not just arguing or or shutting the other down you know on on youtube it's always you know Ben Shapiro destroys or Charlie Kirk destroys. Mm. It's, it's clickbait. It's clickbait. We, we, we have to think of the bigger picture. We have to win over as many people as possible who, as you said, have been indoctrinated or have been brainwashed. Talk to us um, when it comes to the idea of the big state, that, that, that Uncle Sam's going to look after you, which I think is a, a key problem for the black community. What arguments, what, what, what frequencies of, 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 of debate do you use in terms of trying to in, in convince people that, you know what, big government is not good for you? Right. Well, on that one, you can just hit the facts because it's already happened, right? So black America, I say we were the experiment. 
We were the experiment. The last 60 years has been yes. the experiment. Right. Does government work? We don't need to debate it. <laughs> Answer the question. Go. How are you right. doing? Right. Are you a millionaire today? I, I, I know every single black American that I know has family members that are on welfare that have been in the prison system. And I tell them, we've, we've done. We're the big experiment. You know, uh, what was it? $30 trillion injected in, into the welfare industry. And black Americans are poorer today than when it first began. So I just ask, I ask questions. And if they arrive at it, actually, it hasn't worked. So why would more government be the answer? If we've, if we've done all of this government in the last 60 I, years, why would more government be the answer? I cannot wait for your book. I think your book is going to be dynamite. Um, talk to us a little bit about, um, can I ask something? I don't want to be superficial, but I think it was a pivotal moment when it was you and Charlie Kirk on that, on that balcony. Now, do we have to call him Ye now? Is that, Ye. Can I just say Kanye West? Completely um, disrespectful. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, how important is, for example, that 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 moment of him being in the Oval Office with a red MAGA hat? Does it, people want to read? Oh, this is massive. This is cultural. Does it really matter? How important is that? Um, it, it was very important, but it's not as important as the album he just dropped. The, oh, it's. I just heard it this weekend. Mm. My wife played it for me. Talk to us about this album. It's not as yeah, that. So, Isn't that a shock? This album is such a shock. It wasn't for me because I was spending enough time with him that I knew what direction he was going into, and he was having an awakening at the same time I was having an De- awakening. Describe the, the why the album's different. Um, because Kanye's different. Kanye has always been different. If you start from his, his first album, it's not like his second album. It's not like his third album. But this is an album about God. It's about God, and because he arrived at that moment, and I think when Kanye realized that he wasn't allowed to think the way he wanted to think because of politics, he dived right into "I support Trump." put on the MAGA hat. But that wasn't necessarily the right contribution lane for him because Kanye is not a speaker, a public speaker. He's a genius. Uh, I've spent time with him. He's a creative genius. His his mind is different. It's different. (laughs) It's different. It's different. He's like Picasso, right? In in Hungarian, they say the guy's got one extra cog up there. Right. But he... You don't know what he's saying, and then he puts it, he draws it, and he, he sings uh, and it, and you're album, like, oh, my gosh, right. that that's what you were trying so, to say. So why is that album important? Because that that's his contribution. Kanye creates art. He's an artist. And that will inspire more black Americans, more Americans, to realize that something has gone dangerously wrong. We have turned our back on church. We have turned our back yeah. on the family. We have turned our back on God in favor of, of more government, you know, of more humanity, and thinking that of more narcissism, of believing that we, we are the answer. And it wasn't that wasn't the way it was. And things are getting rotten and bad. And and his that album to me is is like the single biggest contribution to the conservative movement since I got into politics. And I was saying to you before I got in here that I was I was kind of getting a little disillusioned and feeling that we were losing that grassroots something real and authentic. And I feel that when I'm on stage at Blexit, I feel that when I listen to Kanye's album, the cultural stuff, the authentic stuff, that is what is moving the ball forward, and that's what's going to save America. He's reintroducing us to the concept that there is something bigger than us mm-hmm. and that it's objective and that it's truthful. And it is, in essence, what our nation was founded upon. If you haven't listened to that new album, my friends, get it right now. Not right now. In the break, I'm talking to Candice Owens. Follow her right now, Real Candice O, and support her organization, BlexitFoundation.org, and pre-order her new book, Blackout, out very soon. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today.